A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Sports Matter, a weekly deep dive into the wide world of premium sports content. I'm Trey Shin, a producer, writer, and full-time sports junkie. When I'm not watching sports, you'll probably find me watching a doc or listening to a podcast about, yep, sports. So I figured, why not combine my two passions, sports and storytelling, into a new podcast where I get to talk to the filmmakers behind my favorite projects and have them take us behind the scenes of how their show came to be and why sports, in all its forms, truly do matter. For my very first guest, I got the good fortune of connecting with the one, the only, the award-winning director, David Charles Rodriguez, about his record-smashing Netflix docuseries, Neymar, The Perfect Chaos, which had more viewers globally than The Last Dance. In our conversation, we talk about rolling with the production punches while filming during a pandemic, what the global soccer superstar Neymar is really like, what drives him, and why David thinks one more World Cup run is in store in 2026. Plus, we'll get a glimpse into what David is working on next. Let's do it. David, welcome to Sports Matter. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Well, look, before we get into all things Neymar, uh, I'd love to learn more about your background. You know, where, where are you from? Absolutely. I, well, I was actually born in a small town near Boston, Massachusetts, in a Greek family. So I was basically born in Greece because everyone around me and on my street, um, and this is on my mother's side, and then my dad's Brazilian. And when I was eight years old, I moved to Belo Horizonte, Brazil, and lived there and then in Sao Paulo um, until I was 24. And then I moved back to California and I've been here since. Very cool. Those are uh, a lot of uh, influences, especially from a sports background. You know, Boston people are pretty crazy about their sports. And then uh, Brazil, we, we know well from your film. Yeah, well, the irony is that, um, and this really explains who I am. So when I grew up there, you know, this was in the 80s and I was a huge, I mean, I still am a huge Magic Johnson fan. So I was a Lakers fan, mainly because my dad was a diehard Boston fan. And then, but I also played soccer. And then when I moved to Brazil, that's when I started playing basketball. And, and basketball was really the sport I played, you know, growing up in Brazil up until college. Uh, that said, when you live in Brazil, you know, football or, you know, as they call it here in the U.S., soccer is really your second nature. You know, every Sunday I would go to games right. with my dad and um, you just live and breathe it. And there's no there's no other way. Um, and here's a here's a funny story, you know, getting a little ahead of ourselves. But why not? When I went down to Santos, you know, Neymar's original team is Santos, which was the same team that Pelé played for and, and, and all. Um, my dad in the 60s played basketball for the national team, and they went to do a training for the Olympics in Santos. 
And it just happened that it was, I think it was like 62 or 63. And that was the height of Pele Santos. And he became friends with Pele. And he became even closer friends with this other player, Lima. And there's a couple of photos of him in Lima. Fast forward to me on um, the Santos grounds and the guy who discovered Neymar for the Santos team, kind of the, you know, the watcher, the scout, right, that, that went and yeah. found him was this same guy, Lima. So before we started the interview, I pulled up a photo of him and my dad when they were 18, and he just, like, freaked out. It was really funny, and, and it was such a trip to, you know, come full circle that way. That is amazing, and one hell of a scout. Yes, he found Neymar and many other great players for Santos. Santos has a very strong heritage of, of breaking great players. Gotcha. Were they, were they your, your club that you cheered for growing up? No, no. I, because I'm from Belo Horizonte, I cheered for Cruzeiro. Unfortunately, the years I was there and cheering, they were one of the best teams in the world. Since then, they, they got delegated to the second division. And now finally this year, they're back up. The former player, Ronaldo, bought the team and, and now owns the team. So he's, he's doing a great job at, at bringing it back to where it belongs. Awesome. Well, we will certainly get more into Brazilian football, but I want to know first, how did you become a storyteller? How did you become a filmmaker? Absolutely. That's a very long story. I'll try to try to keep it short, but I started off, I've always wanted to make films, um, but I grew up in Brazil, uh, lower middle class, and, and that dream is literally impossible to do, but I, that didn't stop me from writing. And then from writing, I became a comic book writer and I would write graphic novels and in comic strips and, you know, did quite well, you know, for Brazil uh, from I was like 17 to I was 20. And that led me into advertising uh, first as a writer, then as a creative director. And it was really an advertising. Well, both the comic books and advertising became my storytelling school. And, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to work with, you know, big time directors like Spike Jones and Alejandro Nyahitu and David O. Russell and just seeing them on set and working, collaborating with them, you know, even if it's on commercials, you learn a lot. Ironically or coincidentally or, or by fate, the first thing I really directed or had a, a strong hands-on was a Nike football series. It was the first, this was in 2007, 2008. It was the first documentary series that a brand had put out um, for football. And it was for Nike. And we focused on... It was very interesting. It was called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and it was focused on the middle class of football. So it's not the stars, but it's also not the, you know, the, the G-leaguers. It's really the people that are giving their all just to be on the team and to make a living, right? They're not getting rich, but they're, they're paying their bills doing what they love. And that really um, was a great experience doing that. And that really kicked off, you know, my career as a director. And it really came full circle um, doing this Neymar series. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that blood, sweat, and tears sounds really cool. That's like whenever you watch a show like Hard Knocks, those are the storylines, the characters that I'm most, you know, drawn in by. It's not the guys who, you know, their contracts are gonna be fine and and you know, they're they're gonna start. It's the guys who are like working their ass off just to make the team and not get cut. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. One of the episodes was was with Clint Dempsey when he was still playing when he was in in England. And, and just seeing him, you know, I think he had just moved from the States to England and, and just seeing him try to make it there was, you know, I, I give that guy a lot of props, a very nice guy as well. All right. So we touched on your, your sports background, big basketball fan, big uh, football, global football, soccer fan. 
any other sports or teams that get the most fired up? I, I love I love all kinds of sports, but to be honest, you know, I when the World Cup comes, I you know, Brazil is is the team of my heart. But on a daily basis, I, I really follow the Lakers and, and Cruzeiro. Those are my two teams. Uh, well, let's let's put a pin in the World Cup because I definitely want to come back to that, <laughs> yeah. especially given uh, how pivotal it is in, in Neymar's arc and, and journey and story and whether or not he's going to come back. Right. Yeah. But let's let's tee it up. So how did you first get involved in the project? How did all these these pieces uh, fall into place? Yeah, it's a it's a curious story. Um, I was working with Spring Hill, which is LeBron James company. We were actually doing a series about basketball players and their the history behind their tattoos. And uh, that ended up, it was in development. It ended up not going anywhere. But in the middle of that development, um, they got a call from Netflix saying they had a deal with Neymar and Neymar wanted to work with LeBron to bring the series to life. Um, what Spring Hill does that's very interesting is their motto, for lack of better words, is more than an athlete. So they really instill the trust and the confidence that they're going to make content that elevates the athlete and kind of shows a side of the athlete that doesn't really get to be shown in the news or in the press or, you know, in other more traditional formats. Um, and with that promise, the deal was made. And then after a lot of pitching and a lot of conversations with Netflix, I get a call out of the blue saying, can you go to Paris tomorrow? Neymar is signing with Barcelona and that's going to be the first shoot and also your chemistry session with him. <laughs> And um, and the series is going to be about his triumphant return to Barcelona in 20. I believe it was 2017 when he went from Barcelona to Paris. It was a big deal. I mean, it was the biggest deal in, in sports history at the time in terms of money. But it was also a big deal because he was becoming Barcelona's star and he was considered a sellout for going to Paris. Then his career in Paris didn't hit as quickly or as strongly as it expected or as it cost. And um, after a frustrating season, he publicly announced that he wanted to go back to Barcelona, that that's where he was happy. And that he was trying to force his exit. And that created uh, like the media, the fans, everyone in Paris just wanted to kill him. They hated him. You know, you can see it in the series, but because I documented exactly this moment in time, which I feel it, it was a very lucky moment and fascinating moment to to get such a an incredible player and star at probably the lowest point in his career. Anyway, so I get there and he was supposed to sign the deal. The deal get, kept getting pushed. And what I ended up documenting was the deal falling apart and they weren't able to make a deal and he had to stay in Paris. I have to give him props though, that when he did stay in Paris, he did everything to get back at his best. And, and, you know, you, you see it all in the series, you know, I encourage people just to watch the series because that that's truly um, one of the interesting storylines of the series is to watch his comeback. It's not completely triumphant, but you know, it takes a lot of resilience to come back from, you know, your own fans, you know, hundreds of thousands of fans in the stadium you know, calling you a mercenary and, 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 you know, there were signs, you know, telling, you know, his father, his father's his manager to take him back to this red light district in, in Brazil and sell him there. And, you know, it was, it was pretty bad. And, and he really overcame all of that by, by, by playing, by doing what he does best. Wow. Remarkable. I did not realize that's when production started. I mean, you did such a good job incorporating the archival 
it, it was kind of seamless as it got to that point in time. But I do remember that part of the series because those conversations he was having with his dad, with Neymar Sr., who didn't really want him to go, right? I mean, they no. didn't agree on this. Yeah. They did not, no. And it's it's surprising. Absolutely. No, it was it was a wild, it was a wild shoot. Yeah. I mean, surprising they didn't just pull the plug on the project right then and there, right? If the auspices of the doc was supposed to be his triumphant return, now there's no return. Well, I think when they saw the material and then when I reframed it and, you know, quickly I learned that the the heart of the story was two things was one, you know, meeting this player, you know, true hero's journey, right? Meeting him at his at his low and and trying to see where he goes from that. We didn't know if he was going to recover from that or not, right? But most importantly, um, the relationship between him and his father was really the heart of the story and the selling point. So it didn't really matter if he stayed or if he went or whatever happened on the pitch. Uh, the story of that relationship for me is really the thing that that makes it special and that and that makes it go beyond just a sports series. You know, I, I get a lot of fans and a lot of people who aren't sports fans um, sending their love and saying they've watched it several times. And it's it's really that human story that that draws people. I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I think it's that same humanity that is is a hallmark of your films. I, I recently watched Gay Chorus Deep South and, you know, you really get to feel who, who these people are, right? Not just oh, what they're you. doing in, in their, their lives, but, you know, who they are as people. And, and then, you know, you, you multiply it with that father-son dynamic. Yeah, which is relatable to everybody, you know, parent-child. There's always going to be that push and pull, you know, even if we're not all running a billion dollar brand. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me what must that have been like as a filmmaker? You know, here you are on the one hand, they've given you this great access, but I'm I'm sure particularly because his career is still going, his story is still being told, you know, how were you able to navigate, you know, what's best for the brand with what's best as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, and, and, you know, the honesty that we all seek to achieve in our films? I mean, that's a very good question. Um, any, any film I make, and I say this off the bat when I'm starting a project, it can be with a local producer or it can be with Netflix or Disney or whoever. The boss for me is the film. You know, I'm here to make the best film possible and I'll do whatever it takes. Um, that doesn't mean to be uncompromising. I think everything in life, there's ways you can, and this was something I learned actually, you know, I've worked in advertising for 21 years and advertising is the, is the business of compromise, but you learn a trick where it's not about compromising. It's about listening and making something better. You know, if it serves the story, if it serves making what you're watching better then great, if it doesn't, then you go to bat and you, and you figure it out. So, you know, also that, that experience, you know, working with so many brands for so long, um, helped me uh, in dealing with that as well, you know, and explaining to them that them being honest and open and authentic is actually going to pay off tenfold for their brand and 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 for themselves. I I don't know why you would have to ask them, but that created a, a very big level of trust. I think as well, um, even from the beginning, from the first shoot, Neymar quickly saw that I wasn't there to document the star or the football player. I really wanted to to show him and, and I cared about him. Um, I wasn't, I mean, to be totally honest, and, and he knows this, I, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't like a huge fan of his before. It's not, I didn't dislike him. I just didn't follow his career. 
So I was genuinely interested in, in who he was as a person, and that really came through, and that really helped him open up as a person and, and, and draw out that humanity. It was a very intimate, reciprocal relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great that they appreciated it and that you were able to establish that trust. I mean, that's critical in making a film uh, about anyone. And I've worked with athletes before that haven't always been. So they say that. They say that they're open. And then it comes to a final cut or something and, you know, other factors play in. But it looks like, yeah. you know, you handled it very well. Um, so speaking of, of production curveballs, you said the project got started in 2019, 2020, the pandemic hits and you were covering a, a very momentous historic Champions League match. Can, can you tell us what it was like to cover that? Absolutely. Uh, we were probably two thirds of our way into to principal photography. Um, our last shoot in, in Paris uh, was in March of 2020. Um, I remember flying back, seeing like in the airport, seeing on the television, I, th I think it was like 87 cases near the Paris area of this, you know, respiratory disease. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. And, and literally a week later, the whole world shuts down. Um, kudos to, you know, our producer, Cecilia, and our production team at Spring Hill, you know, Matt and Ross at Campfire for really, and, and Netflix as well, for really helping us figure out how to shoot this during a pandemic, right? Like even during the pandemic, we were able to capture Neymar in Brazil. We were able to... You know, I interviewed Messi and Suarez and David Beckham all remotely, and it worked out really well. And and that was a great learning. And and luckily, you know, the Champions League unfolded as well. Um, all of that was, you know, we had we had shooters on the ground, but I was literally directing remotely um, via WhatsApp and Zoom. And you know, I had like a crazy command central with many screens, talking to many people at the same time, and it felt weird, but it worked. And you know, we were able to, to get the job done. To be honest, during the pandemic, the hardest part for me was uh, editing remotely. Um, I had, it was very challenging mm. to not be able to be in the room because when you're in the room with an editor, you can track the rhythm of an edit. You know, editing is like uh, making music and it's, it's really about the rhythm of, of how things are cut. And that's very difficult to do remotely. You know, you can send notes, you can talk about ideas, all of that's fine. But to find cut to get that rhythm and that pace that I really wanted for the film, which we ended up getting, you know, thanks to to Will Z and, and his team and Angus at, at Make Make. And all, obviously, you know, Afonso and Kim and Forrest who started cutting um, the film with us. But yeah, that was for me the, the, the greatest challenge during the filmmaking process of the pandemic. Obviously, it would have been nice to be on the ground for all of those shoots and we probably would have gotten different things, but it worked out and it worked great. Yeah, it absolutely worked out. And that's a really interesting point you bring up about the edit, um, particularly during the pandemic. Yeah, we have all this great software available to us, Frame.io and whatever, where you can drop in notes. But yeah, you're right. You really need, need to feel it, right? They say you make a movie three times, right? When you write it, you shoot it, and you edit it. Absolutely. So yeah, so that that Champions League moment, so that that game that I imagine helped restore some of the trust, right, uh, between Neymar and and the PSG fans. Absolutely. I mean, that game was wild. I mean, yeah, we were outside um, while they were, you know, well, we were both inside and outside, but 
it was, yeah, that was really the the turning point for him that showed his dedication and his love for football and for PSG. Uh, one of the most interesting parts for me about him in the in the in the series, and um, it's it's a it's it's quite a quiet moment, so I don't know how how much it comes across, but it was very meaningful to me. Was you know the pandemic hit and everyone went on hiatus, and he went back to his home in Brazil. But he didn't stop practicing and he didn't stop training, and he actually came back even faster and stronger. But I think what really hit him during that time, you know, what the pandemic did for him in a positive way. Obviously, it was a really hard time for everyone and for the world. Um, but, you know, the, it is also a learning and, and out of tragedy, you can come back stronger. Um, I think he re- remembered why he's doing this and he does this because he loves to play. And I think that love for the game and the love, just love to love of play got him to the point where he was able to win that match and, and get Paris to the final of the Champions League uh, for the first time in history. Yeah. And you captured that so well. Um, you know, you could see it. Uh, playing, playing with his son, playing with his family. Yeah, I, I thought that came across uh, amazing, and and that's great. Yeah, you know, it, the pandemic was a time of reflection for everybody, even the greatest athletes in the world. So you mentioned finding the rhythm, and obviously Brazil is known for its samba and its music. You know, what kind of touchstones, what kind of feeling were were you going for in the story, especially given you know Neymar has has like lived his life on social media, right? Like he is this globally known icon how as a filmmaker were you able to bring your own language to this you know your own palette of colors absolutely you know neymar neymar is he was the first athlete star in the social media era you know he, he his career was kind of born with facebook and instagram and, and social media so that was i didn't want it to overpower the story and the intimacy and 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 who he was but that also had to play a huge role, you know, especially Brazil, the Brazilians in Brazil are always the early adopters of technology. So every, every social media trend, every technology trend hits there bigger probably than most places around the world. Um, so that, so that really comes across in his relationship with social media and, and with his fans, uh, especially, you know, during the champions league. But at the same time, I think what I, I also wanted to portray you know, everyone knows Brazil for, you know, its music and its beaches and for soccer, but there's some idiosyncrasies about Brazil that are not really talked about. And, and I wanted to show it in some way where in Brazil, um, Vinicius, I, don't, I think it's Tom, Tom Jobim, the, the great musician Tom Jobim has, a, has an amazing quote that really defines a part of Brazil that's not talked about much, which is uh, to be successful in Brazil is a personal offense. You know, and especially to have international success. You know, uh, Tom Jobim felt it. You know, Neymar felt it. You know, at a way smaller scale, I've felt it. And I really wanted to to show that. You know, once you become successful internationally, people start saying you lost your roots. People start saying, you know, you're more foreign than Brazilian. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And uh, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And a lot of his haters in Brazil, you know, Neymar is a very divisive figure. People who love him really love him and people who hate him hate him. And, and the haters, I, I think, really stem from that, you know, stem from him being unapologetic and stem from him having this level of success. Yeah. And not kind of being shy about it or apologizing for it. Right. Like he, he's been working his ass off since he was like eight, nine years old. You know, he became a pro at 12, right? Like when, once you put those things into context, you start understanding why people behave the way they do. And, you know, to do what he did and come from where he came from is, is literally impossible and improbable. So why not be, you know, why not boast it? Why not celebrate it? You know, why not party? You know, you're young, you're, you're having fun. He's not affecting his career, his profession. I think we have this idea that um, once someone becomes famous, especially athletes, we, we almost own their lives. You know, they can't, they can't do whatever they want. And I really wanted to break that stigma. It, it happens around the world, but it happens especially in Brazil, where if you don't do things a certain way and you don't behave a certain way, um, you're frowned upon. You know, he's a human being. He fucked, you know, I don't agree with everything he does. I don't, I don't agree with a lot that he does, but I agree that he can do whatever he wants because he's human, you know, and, and his profession is as a soccer player. And he, you know, I can attest for, for spending so much time with him. He, he works the hardest, you know, he's, he's very, very dedicated. And, and I feel like the media and the way he's perceived, off the pitch really overshadows his efforts um, on the pitch. Yeah, I mean that is that's amazing insight, and and that is a story we hear. I mean, especially for a, a kid who's been in the public eye since when did he sign at Santos? You said eleven, twelve. Yeah, he made his first million when he was twelve. Yeah. yeah. Look, and I'm you know you mentioned Spring Hill and and more than an athlete, and I mean LeBron is this amazing example of someone like Neymar who's been in the public eye since he was you know a teenager, and has had this unbelievable life, both professionally, personally. For every LeBron, there's a thousand kids, right, who had that kind of promise and potential, and for whatever reason, it got to them. They, they're everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. I wonder, do you feel like someone like Messi is received the same way in Argentina because he was identified as a talented young age? He left Argentina to go to Europe. Uh, now he brings home a World Cup, and I imagine all is forgotten. Right? He's the hero. Yeah. Now, 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 all is forgotten. Um, but in his case, even being literally the best player in the world and, and he different than Neymar dedicates a hundred percent of his life to, to the sport and to his family. You know, he's a good, he's a good kid, right? Like everyone likes a good kid, but all of that said, when he wasn't winning the world cup, right on the, in the other three times where he lost the world cup, people in Argentina 
were like, oh, he's not even Argentinian. He went to Spain before he became professional. He's been there since he was like, I don't know, like 12 or something. He went very young. He shouldn't even play for the Argentinian team. That's why he doesn't win anything and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, and, and, and the guy, you know, shut everyone up because he gave his all. Um, the sad part, but also just the, I guess it's the, I guess it's the trade-off in sports is that the only way that you can prove yourself is by winning. That's something that I really want to challenge um, in my, in my, in the films I work with in sports is, you know, I've, I've been working on this other project with the Golden State Warriors in the nineties before they were, you know, a dynasty, the players there, they, they didn't win any trophies or rings, but I feel like what they won is, is one, they changed the game and they won at life, you know, and, and I feel like winning at life should really be, um, taken into account as well. You know, and I think other athletes like Naomi Osaka, and I can't think of, but I know there's more now. I think it's starting to, you know, Simone Biles. Simone right? Biles, another, yeah. We're thinking another of, great yeah. example of, of athletes that are putting their foot down and teaching us that it's more important to win at life than to just win a trophy. And winning a trophy and a medal will be a consequence, but winning at life is is forever, is the true legacy, I guess. Yeah. And that's, that's great. Uh, that is absolutely great. And, and, you know, I want to see more of those stories because yeah, we don't always win. You know, I, I coach my son, my seven-year-old son's flag football team, and he just had his second year and his first year, he was on a really good team uh, because there were some older kids who were good and, and they went undefeated and then they lost in their little Super Bowl, And, you know, devastated, just crying and, and, you know, didn't, everybody <laughs> had the world's most miserable day. This year, we had a completely different team, a bunch of kids who had never played before. We won one game the whole season and it didn't matter. He had so much more fun this year being on a team with his buddies and just not making it about winning that, yeah. you know, it's the same lessons for our kids. It's the same lesson for us as adults. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. I, I would yeah. like to see more stories like, like like you're talking about. So you were bringing up like, you know, okay, so his his trope, his archetype in the media is a little bit of of the bad boy, right? He's not the 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 saint. You drew some parallels because Kobe Bryant tragically passed away while you were filming, but it did seem yeah. that there there was um if not a relationship that Kobe was a role model for Neymar. Can can you speak to that? Absolutely. No, that was, that was a really, um, touching and fateful moment. Uh, you know, we were, we were together in Paris when he found out that, you know, well, we both found out that Kobe was, was killed and, you know, obviously, you know, being a Laker fan, um, myself, it was very impactful. I think for him though, the greatest impact one, you know, he knew Kobe, you know, they weren't friends, but they were colleagues and they've worked together and they had, you know, some sort of dialogue but I, I think he really admired and loved his dedication to the sport. And, and although, like I said, although the bad boy image uh, overshadows Neymar's dedication to the sport, um, I can attest to you that is, it, it, it is like Kobe's, you know, in that, in that thirst to win. What I really think hit him, though, was he started thinking about his own mortality and his own legacy and, you know, if it's all worth it or not, you know, I, I feel like that was a very vulnerable moment uh, in his life and in his career that, you know, I guess in some way, shape or form, his dream is 
basically every football player's dream is to win a World Cup. Um, I think Kobe's death really put that into uh, an even greater goal, you know, because he he wants, you know, that 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 would be a way to cement his legacy. And that's why this World Cup was so heartbreaking, because that game against Croatia, he gave his blood, sweat and tears and scored that goal. And Brazil was going to win. And then they just got overconfident towards the end. And, and we know, you know, we all know the, the, the story behind that. But that was his moment. It was. He had, he had his moment. He had the goal. It seemed like they were going to advance. My wife was born in Brazil. We were watching it. I think I was screaming at the TV, uh, park the bus, right? Like, what yeah. are you doing? Why are there only four guys back on defense? Yeah, I, and I, I, was testing, I was texting with Neymar's family and his, his, man, and his man, managers and stuff. And, and yeah, <laughs> it was so hard. I was so very – there were very few times in my life, I think the Lakers in Boston final when the Boston Celtics won, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And then uh, this one were, were probably the two hardest <laughs> moments for me in sports. Yeah, I believe it. Because I knew what it meant to him. And I knew if they won, they had a very good chance at, at, at getting the title. You know, obviously they would have had faced Argentina and, and who knows what could have happened. But I, I, feel, I felt that team, out of all teams that Neymar played with in the World Cup, that was by far the best team. And that had the greatest chances of winning. Yeah, right. Because he's always been kind of, you know, the young guy, the energy, the the artistry. But now he's got, you know, all these other guys around him who were just making highlight goal after highlight goal. You know, I, exactly. I would say to friends watching the U.S. play and it felt like whenever the U.S. scored, you know, it's like 15 things had to go right. <laughs> um, when when yeah. Brazil scores a goal, it's just one magical touch, right? It's just you see the beautiful game when they play it. Yeah. So what do you think that means, right? In the context of all this, he is getting older. He's, he's, is he coming back? Is he going to give it another run in four years when it's here in North America? I, I feel strongly that he is. I think that actually, um, I think that Messi winning, he's very close to Messi and, and seeing Messi at 36, I think, 35, 36, uh, win the World Cup. Um, I'm pretty sure inspired him. I'm speaking for myself. I haven't spoken to him. I'm pretty sure it inspired him to, 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 to take another run. You know, he, he really wants it. And I feel like he'll try to get it until he can't anymore. And I think in four years, he'll still be, you know, at his highest. Um, you know, he still has another, I think, three years with PSG on the contract. The, the issue with athletes is for, for you to, it's not just like being 34, it's being 34 at your highest, right? Like, and to be at your highest, you have to dedicate your whole life. So that means the next four years, you have to dedicate your whole life again. And when you start getting older, you know, other things start happening in your life and you have other interests, you know? So it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a constant challenge and, 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 you know, and, you know, money is not really the objective for athletes. Athletes want to win, but it gets to a certain point where your body starts getting beaten up and tired as well. And you're like, you know, is this sacrifice worth winning? Because I still have, you know, especially now with life expectancy, right? I have another 50, 60 years in my life. Like, am I going to kill myself now or am I going to, you know, enjoy in, enjoy the spoils that I've, you know, made through through this miraculous career? 
Right. Especially given some of the devastating injuries he had. I mean, the one in the World Cup back in 2014. Yeah, that was that was really bad. Yeah. That was very traumatizing. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't even fathom how painful that must have been for him. And and now the dynamic on that PSG team where Mbappe and Messi were going at it in what was possibly the greatest World Cup final ever. And, and he was left to watch it like the rest of us. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure that hurt, but you know, at the same time, maybe empowered him for you know, 2026 and yeah, this is the tricky thing, right? So we I'm doing a podcast about sports content, right? It's it's very popular right now, and there's there's more content than there's ever been before. Was there ever any discussion about? I, I know uh, the you mentioned the impetus for the film was to document his triumphant return to Barca. But, you know, his story's not done being told. Was there ever, ever any talk about, you know, waiting um, to release it or, or capturing it over a longer time period? Or could you do a follow-up? You know, what, what do you think about, you know, telling an athlete's story kind of as it's still happening? Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's amazing. Uh, I don't think my work with Neymar is done. Um, after the the series came out, he really loves it, and he wanted to start a sequel immediately and focus on the World Cup. But ironically, or I don't, you know, who knows why, um, none of the streamers bought it. Nobody was. Everyone thought that the uh, season one was so successful, and it was too soon to 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 do something new with him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's no, nobody wanted to, to, to play that bet. And I think a lot of people were, um, nearsighted where they thought that the success of the series of this, you know, the second, uh, season would be about him winning the world cup. And that was a crapshoot, you know, is a big risk, but it's really not about winning, you know, like actually him losing is makes an even better story. We, you know, spring Hill, LeBron, Neymar, like everyone really wanted this, but we couldn't find uh, a single streamer um, to to believe in us for this second season. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I am yeah. beyond shocked. And here's a, here's a fun fact, you know, with uh, 28 Days Netflix releases um, the viewership in the first 28 days and uh, the average was around 70 million viewers and it was in the top 10 in 52 countries. It was it was seen more globally than the last dance in the first 28 days. Wow. Just like letting that sink for a second. I mean, that is that that's a level of viewership that you you just got 70% of the Super Bowl. Like and yeah. last dance was, you know, this cultural phenomenon that we all talked about uh yeah. during the pandemic and it did bigger than that. I mean, that's that's soccer is truly a global sport. Yeah, I, um, I don't really understand um how these decisions to green light series are, you know, to be honest, you know, there's some things I pitched that get greenlit that I didn't expect and others that are, you know, sure bets that don't. So you just I, never know. We, we all, we all know that game sadly too well, you know, but I'm sure, um, I'm sure they have a reason and, and you know, they're timing not. is everything. Would you be able to shop it uh, elsewhere beyond Netflix? Um, now that Apple, for example, is, is buying more sports rights and leaning in. We shopped it everywhere. Nobody could see the potential, <laughs> which is insane. That's truly insane. But, you know, I guess timing is everything. Give it, give it another couple months and everything will change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, I think there's still another chapter left to, to be told in his story. 
Absolutely. Tell me more about this this Golden State doc, if if, if you can. So um... yeah, I, I can tell you the premise. I can't talk much more about it, but um, sure, it's focused on Run TMC, uh, and Run TMC was uh, only happened for two years. It was like this flash golden era for the Warriors, where they had Tim Hardaway, Chris Mullen, and Mitch Richmond play together. Uh, under the tutelage of Don Nelson and together they really invented, you know, what we call small ball and small ball is the game that's being played in the NBA, right? That, you know, the, the people that really made small ball a winning game was, you know, the, the, the Warriors dynasty was Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green. They literally took the same playbook that Don Nelson had for run TMC and just did it at a higher level and, and became this dynasty. And, and they talk about it too, you know, Steph and, and Draymond and, and Clay really um, owe a lot of their gratitude of, of, of what they've achieved uh, to, this, to these players. And, and for me, that's what they did is they changed the game and they won at life. You know, and they never won a they never won a title. You know, and they've been through many many hardships in their lives, and and you know some controversy, you know issues with alcoholism, issues with, you know, uh, children deaths, but that never interfered with their friendship. They're very close, and 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 it's quite beautiful to see their relationship, and and how sport brought them together. That is really one one of the beautiful things about sport is. You go through so many things together that, you know, you end up becoming friends for life. And that's the camaraderie is really, you know, like you were saying about your son, you know, the, the ability to just have fun and to and to be there with your friends is priceless. You know, it's it's worth it. Well, that sounds uh, amazing. And I definitely want to check that out when it's when it's done. Good luck. Uh, finishing up that project. Um, yeah, that camaraderie. I, I always think there was a one particular 30 for 30 survive in advance about uh, Jim Belvano's North Carolina State team in 1984. And yes, they ended up winning it all. But what I really loved uh, about the way they told that story is they brought all those guys back, you know, however long it was after the fact, say 30, 30 years. And they just set them in a bar and just kind of let them talk. And, you know, they would watch games on a television in, in the bar and they would talk trash to each other. They would reminisce, you know, oh, I was wide open this game. Why didn't you pass it to me? It's like, because you were missing all your shots. That's why. Like, <laughs> it was just to see that dynamic at play. Like, you're right. It, it transcends sports. It, it becomes a story about yeah. something else. Um, so cool. All right. Well, I, I had it in my head that we'd do a little uh, lightning round, if you don't mind. Do it. Top sports docs that you love, that you've watched. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the last dance is, is incredible. Um, I think my favorite is hoop dreams in the soccer route. There's a, there's a uh, kind of an obscure film uh, about Zidane that I really love where they, they basically, the, the whole film takes place during one game and they put 38 cameras on Zidane during this game. And it's, it's, it's an art piece. It's not even a film. It's really beautiful. Uh, it was a huge inspiration for how I shot Neymar on the field. Um, those, I think those are the, my three favorite ones for sure. Amazing. I have to check out the Zidane. What's that one called again? I think it's called Zidane 20, 20th century man or 21st century man, something like that. Cool. Um, what's the last, um, documentary or docu-series you watched? Uh, sports. A- any, any, um, any, any genre? I just watched, uh, well, last night I watched Riotsville, 
which is a uh, well. Actually, let me talk about the one that I last watched that I loved. I just watched Retrograde uh, by Matthew Heineman. He's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers, and he spent the last eight months of the military occupation in Afghanistan. Um, and then after the Americans left, he continued with the Afghani army and, and showed their defeat to the Taliban. And it, the, the courage that him and his team have to be there and to document those moments is, is beyond me. And all with the most beautiful cinematic view. It's, it's, it's insane. Like, like I recommend his movies to everyone. You know, he made the mes- best movie about the pandemic, the first wave. He's made the best movie about, you know, the border drug issues you know with cartel land um he's really just incredible and retrograde's amazing and you know my other two favorites of the year were navalny and uh fire of love um which were made by by two dear friends of mine um but hopefully those three will will be on the list uh for the oscars that will be released next week I would not be surprised to to hear all all three of those i haven't i haven't watched uh fire of love yet but navalny yeah was Breathtaking. And and the fact that despite it all, he came back, right? Unbelievable. Last question. Uh, your dream dinner party. Who's coming? What are you serving? Alive or dead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I always love dinner parties with unexpected guests. So I would invite a few, but then I would, you know, hope that a bunch of random, interesting people showed up. You know, three of my greatest idols are, you know, Magic Johnson, obviously. Um, but then uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, um, I think that would be an interesting pairing. Um, and then maybe um, a more obscure person I love uh, is Tony Wilson, who uh, created Factory Records and, and launched the careers of Joy Division and New Order and, and, and created a whole. He basically was responsible for mod- modern day raves uh, around the world. Um, so that that shows a little bit about... All, all of the sides of things I like and, and I love to just mash them all together. Um, but, but those would be my guests. And then I would hope that they would invite some, some really cool, interesting people to join us. I love it. That's a great eclectic mix. Uh, <laughs> any, any issue might serve any, anything you, you love in, in your oh, household? I, mean, I would serve Brazilian food for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would just have a Brazilian feast. Uh, they know how to do their feasts. Those those churrascarias. Uh, I'm done. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome, David. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, are there any websites, social media handles where um, audiences can can come find you and and check out your work and and what's what's next? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I just would love to you know to encourage people to watch Neymar on Netflix and and my other film, Gay Chorus Deep South, is uh, on Paramount Plus. I feel like that's that's really a good place to start. Awesome, man. Well, have a wonderful day and keep making kick-ass art and talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.